The Magnus Podcast, Episode 15, A Gentler Introduction to the Trivium and Quadrivium. Find the Albertus Magnus Institute and make sure that we're ever conscious and ever actually in train, have ever actually in train, the notion that the Albertus Magnus Institute is, before it is anything else, a work of love. Hmm. And that means a work by which we take the best we have and offer it to others gratis. Freely give what we've been given freely. Freely give what we've been given. And freely give that which makes us free. And think you are you are successful just insofar as you can say, I am poured out like water. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So that's how today's episode ends. Uh, how it begins, however, is really largely up to you. I can definitely say on behalf of everybody on our team, this is a labor of love Everybody's working hard to do something that is a little bit crazy. That is liberate these liberal arts. Really, it's bigger than that. It's uh, a matter of felling a broken system, this dead wood that is the college system, this power center in the United States, in many ways in the world, that has been entrapping its graduates into a lifetime of control, really indentured servitude through debt and ideology. This is not what college was intended to be. This is not what the liberal arts are. In today's episode, you're going to hear from our founding president, Stephen Courtright. And if you were a little bit overwhelmed by his first episode, episode one, that really lays out this entire project of the liberal arts, today we're going to take it a little bit more uh, slowly, step by step, and break down the trivium and the quadrivium. So you can have a sort of general survey that might be helpful and accessible to you. If you want to get involved in this mission, check out what we're doing at magnusinstitute.org. And you can apply today for the fellowship, magnusinstitute.org slash fellowship. It's completely free. You can sign up right now. And we're getting ready to launch live online interactive courses with the good minds in academia. We're assembling a team of great teachers for you that are going to be bringing the good stuff for free. And that's no joke. There's no catch for free. Always will be. We're going to freely give what we've been given freely. And that is what education should be about, authentic human freedom. So magnusinstitute.org for more. As always, thank you for listening to this podcast and sharing it with your friends, giving us a positive review It really does go a long way. It really is encouraging for our team. And thank you. It means a lot. I really can't thank you enough. Uh, Without further ado, here is Professor Stephen Courtright on the seven liberal arts, the trivium and the quadrivium. Enjoy. Let's talk about liberal studies in general, because um, when when your typical a college student is getting ready to go off to college and they might tell he might tell his parents I want to go study the liberal arts and what comes to mind is uh English and English and I mean maybe philosophy or something like it uh how did that how did that understanding of the term come about and how is that not uh accurate anymore. Okay, so that understanding of the term came about the way most um, sloppy understandings of terms come about by by the forgetting of certain distinctions. Okay, So there's a tendency these days to equate liberal arts with humanities. Um, And liberal tends to be understood as Free in the sense of free of rigor, <laughs> the the uh, the arts or the studies in which opinion reigns uh, and aesthetic intuition is a leading element. Uh, the liberal arts meant originally, and into the Middle Ages, the free and freeing arts, free in two senses. The arts which were ends in themselves and therefore 
free of subordination to other ends or purposes. Okay, free in that sense. Free in the second sense, free in the sense of liberating, because such arts pursued by human beings reconstructed the human mind in such a way as to make it adequate to the perception of reality. So there are arts through which the arts, man the is arts made free. They make you free to do what you as a human being are destined to do, which is know things and in knowing them, love them. And that happens through, uh, as the Latin cod cognate might suggest, books. There's yes. this double meaning of uh, right. was it li Liber? Liber, yes. Uh -huh. Liber are books and Liber means free. Is that accidental or coincidental? It's coincidental, but uh, St. John's College of Annapolis and Santa Fe has made it their seal and thus has turned themselves into a sophisticated pun. Uh-huh. Right? Um, Is it possible that that was actually, that, that the, the classical understanding was that one was derived from the other and so they should have it's, the Well, it's, it's possible in the sense that many far-fetched things are possible, but yeah, there's yeah. no close etymological reason to think so. Okay. I mean, you might speculate the way, say, um, uh, medieval etymologists speculated. Well, only those who were free had leisure to read, and so books are right. the tokens of the Liber. Of What's the that guy doing over there? Oh, free, right. free stuff. That's right. Free While stuff. I'm out plowing the field. Right. And that's that's attractive, and it's, um, it's, you know, it's not ruled out, but it's not ruled in by any strict historical evidence. Got it. Okay. And so um, now, uh, well, I guess traditionally the liberal arts came in uh, these seven fields of study, would we say? Right. So there are seven artes liberales. The, the very term artes liberales is owing to Cicero. So it's a latish term in terms of antiquity. But there are seven traditional artes liberales, or free and freeing arts. The fourfold way, or quadrivium, and the threefold way, or trivium. And we're inclined, because of the identification of liberal arts with humanities, to think of the trivial arts, the trivium, as the founding liberal arts, grammar, logic, rhetoric. Actually, those are late additions hmm. to the catalogs of free or liberating uh, studies. Historically late. Historically late. That's Give right. me some years. So historically late, the liberal arts get added in late antiquity. So the earliest... Um, the trivium does. The trivium. Yeah. Uh -huh. the tri trivial liberal arts, sorry. Get added, in, uh, get added in late antiquity, so historically they're part of the curriculum of the late antique academies at Alexandria and the survival of the Platonic Academy at uh, Athens and the Academy at Apamea in Syria, which was a center of studies in late antiquity. So the trivial arts added to the quadrivial arts is a staple of the curricula of late antiquity, we're talking second century BC through second to third. So that's century pretty old. AD. How old are the the quadrivial liberal arts? Quadrivial liberal arts are named as such, and are proposed as freeing arts in Plato's Republic, seventh mm. book, mm. with the cave. After the cave. After the cave in book seven. After the cave in book seven. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how do you get out of the cave? Get out of the cave by studying the liberal arts, or those who are to be liberated from enslavement to popular opinion or to received opinion, those who are going to be able to encounter the real and the good for themselves, are the guardians of the seventh book who are to be educated in geometry, arithmetic, that is, pure and applied mathematics of continuous and pure and applied mathematics of discrete quantity. Music, understood not as performance, but as the study of harmonies and ratios. And astronomy, understood as moving harmonies. Now, does the order of those matter? Because I've often heard the order as, uh, would it be arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, There's a, music? Right. There's, there are disputes, right? If you read Nicomachus of Giraza, so a late-ish... Um, uh, philosopher and uh, mathematician, he will tell you that arithmetic is the founding study of quantity and therefore the founding study of the quadrivium. 
right, stands to the quadrivium the way grammar stands to logic and rhetoric, perhaps. Mm -hmm. If you consult the venerable tradition of Euclidean studies, Euclid's elements of geometry and so on, you will note that arithmetic, understood as theory of number, arises in the seventh book. After geometry starts. After geometry starts and as a codicil to the study of ratio. Now, pedagogically, why is it? Is that just because, I mean, a kid can see a shape before he can understand a number? If you believe Plato, it's because to be in the first portal of liberation is to be geometrized. Medes ageometretos esita. Let the, no one who is ungeometrized enter here. Who's the slave boy he talked? Is that Mino? That's in Mino. Yeah. But that's the motto traditionally thought to be written over the gate of the academy. Hmm. Let no one who has not been geometrized, literally, enter here. So for Plato, the entree into free thinking, dialectical thinking, philosophical thinking, begins with geometry. Okay. So would grammar and the trivial arts then, so let's just talk about those in a nutshell. What are the three? So the, the three the trivial trivia. arts are grammar or the art of speaking straight, logic or the art of inferring straight, that is defining proposing and inferring straightly, rightly, and rhetoric, the art of communicating the truth effectively to others, making, I would, I would put it this way, making knowledge, knowledge by making it common. If I think I know something and I'm incapable of communicating it to you in common human speech, there's a strong suspicion that perhaps I don't know it at all. Like episode one of the Magnus podcast. <laughs> there you go. If I can't make purported knowledge common, it's not clear that it's knowledge. Mm -hmm. right, so if it's not receivable. If it's not receivable, communicable. Communicable sure, not in the sense of communication theory. Communicable right. in the sense of becoming a partnership of good or a, a yep. goodness held in common. Shareable. Shareable in that sense, yeah. Right. So rhetoric is is rightly described, as a liberal art, is described as the, the art by which what we know is made shareable, and okay. thus more emphatically known. So we have these seven arts right. that for the at least 2,000 years, at right. least 2,400 years, right? right. Thereabouts. Uh, uh, have been known to be that which make a man free. Right. Free from what or free for something? What, is, what does free even free mean? Free from ignorance, that is free from entrapment in opinion, okay, and free therefore to encounter reality as one ought, directly and responsibly, that is, receptively. Which is that for which we are made. That's, that's what we do. That's what we do. We are being. We're little truth receptacles. I would say being detectors. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so seven arts, and order aside for now, but uh, uh, grammar, logic. Grammar, logic, rhetoric, rhetoric the trivium, uh, arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, music, the quadrivium. Okay. Um, and you can think of geometry, arithmetic, astronomy, and, and music as the, the um, arts of pure and applied mathematics. Okay. Interesting. Now, are these seven arts themselves preparatory for any sort of higher study? Yes, right. They come to fruition in philosophy and theology. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, they come to fruition in two ways. So here's where things get... Here's where the tradition is, in, in some sense, at war with itself, or in conflict with itself. So, originally, the four arts, if you think, of, think back to the um, Pythagoreans, uh, the Pythagoreans thought that in the science of quantity, they had the science of reality, and wisdom was learning to measure the world. Right. So to speak. Now, that's 
is good a way to put. That's it. a development in itself. I mean that that's sure. that, that this notion that all is something. Yes, I mean, Thales had one of those. Heraclitus had another one of those. Right. That's a big human move. To that's say a big that human move. Everything is. That's right. But in this fire, case, the mathemata are thought to be wisdom. The things that are preeminently mathemata in Greek simply means the things that are preeminently learnable and teachable. Okay. Is, is abstraction important there? Because it seems like that's what makes them humanly shareable. Is That's an account right. of what makes them humanly shareable. Okay. Abstraction is an account of what makes them humanly shareable. Pythagoreans thought that, they, that the, mathema, the mathemata were intrinsically knowable. They were separate substances behind the, the reality of it. So like I'm going to bump into the number four... In heaven, we're, like, we're going to intuit it. Like, in an, like it's yeah. on Sesame Street or something. Something like that. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Or put another way, what intelligence is for the Pythagoreans might be put this way: what intelligence is is the ability to see into the mathemata, to see through hmm. the the appearances into the mathemata that the appearances veil or conceal. Wow. Right? So. So that notion, the notion that the mathemata are wisdom, right, are wisdom, uh, runs afoul of, among others, Aristotle uh, and Plato too, in one sense. Pythagorean before, after Plato and Aristotle. Oh, before. Okay. In, in, in this sense, I mean, Aristotle's project of ordering the philosophical sciences shows that the mathemata are not self-grounding. What does that mean? Well, I mean that I can ask questions from geometry that geometry is not prepared to answer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I ask, if I ask, well, what is continuous quantity, geometry has no answer to that question. It presupposes continuous quantity. Right. right? It defines species thereof, right? but doesn't answer the question, what is it? Right? And that's true also of arithmetic, what is number? Right? Uh, that's certainly true of harmony and ratio. So the quadrivium leads to, points to, questions that the quadrivial sciences, if you want to call them that, are not as sciences prepared to answer. Right? Their mm -hmm. foundations are murky. Mm -hmm. And not only murky, but you have the scandal, if you will, of mutually incompatible answers to the questions these sciences elicit. So in this way, philosophy would be not only the terminus, but the uh, informant of, right. of the quadrivium? Right. So philosophy is going to come to the rescue of the quadrivial sciences, and it's going to come to the rescue of the quadrivial sciences by formulating the questions they propose in terms that are universally accessible to all persons who have the capacity, for example, to speak. Thus, in the Mino of Plato, the only requirement Socrates makes of the slave boy is, does he speak does he Greek? Speak? Yep. Can we communicate? Right. That is, can, we, can I pose and he respond to questions in common terms? Which is why grammar, language. at least pedagogically or chronologically, has is, to be first. Is, a, is first, is prior right. to. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the art of shareable speech. Would words. that be the same for the rest of the trivium? In other words, do you have to teach a kid uh, logic and rhetoric before you can teach arithmetic? Um, it would seem not. Right? No. Okay. No. That's it's it. So so the trivial arts and the quadrivial arts, both historically and as a matter of fact, just as a matter of we go, the way things go, are quite separable. Right. That is, I need not be a logician to do. So I can be a master of rhetoric without. Being able to play a lick of piano or something like that. That's this. correct. Okay. Right. You, are, you can be a powerful rhetorician and be unable to balance your checkbook. Right. For example. Yeah, my wife would accuse me of that. Right. No, my wife wouldn't accuse me of that because she doesn't have to. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, um, 
you have this, this separation. So you can say that the trivium are added to the curriculum when it becomes evident that it's necessary to pose philosophical questions of the quadrivial studies, which are not uh, uh, formulated, which are formulated in terms accessible to anyone. And so you have this notion of philosophy as the attempt to account for things in simply human language, to ask and pursue questions that anyone can ask and anyone can pursue. So on the one hand, that grounds the absolute commonality of human wisdom, but on the other hand, it calls into question right, the sufficiency of the quadrivium. And so the quadrivium and the trivium remain known as arts. So you can do not sciences. You can so Socrates Tamino leads him into philosophy without teaching the quadrivium. That's right. That's right. By posing questions so, about the teaching of so the quadrivium. In the sense that we can say that trivium and quadrivium are are sort of uh, prerequisites for mm -hmm. philosophy. Mm -hmm. It's not like we would say, uh, you cannot touch philosophy, you can't do that no. until you've got these mastered. Right. Okay. Right. And the sense in which that's true is the same sense in which it's true to say, everybody is a logician. Because we can order words. Because we can order thoughts. And we know, you know, when things are not true, we can... Th that's right. Some thoughts And indeed, we're thoughts. pretty good at it. Just ordinary people meeting on the street, argue with each other, draw sound conclusions, draw valid conclusions, draw sound conclusions, and so on. The difference between logician and logician, say capital L, student of, Formal the, logician. of the art, yeah, student of the art and um, mere practitioner of the art, so to speak, natural practitioner of the art might be more respectful. Natural practitioner of the art is that the latter has reflected on and has reduced to an art two procedures about which he has critical control or about which he exercises critical judgment, what the other does natively or naturally. Aha. Uh -huh. right? Through language, it's, through being a user of language. Now, to both, they would be native or natural. Right. 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 And, and the first would be sort of preferable, higher, right? Right. This so what 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 would be the difference then? Like you're you could be a logician without knowing it. I mean, you could be a natural logician. Let's say everybody's a logician. Everybody's a that's logician. my slogan when students come to study logic. If, you if you're can, coming to become a logician, you got this. You're already there. Okay. Right. The question is whether you're going to be artful. Hmm. Whether you're going to be self-critically logical. And that's why traditionally logic in the Middle Ages, anyway, was, was first of all, embraced um, metaphor, embraced poetry, embraced, right? Um, there, there's a you know, logical uh, uh, address to poetry, a logical address to the use of metaphor and so on. Because logic had to do with the artful, critical use of language to draw inferences. At what point to truth. is... Uh, is do all of these arts make one free together when they when they're possessed sure. in the soul, or right. one set of them works just the same? In other words, am I free once I've learned logic? Am but you know the answer to that, right? Right, you know the answer to that. Uh, a person who is logically sophisticated but rhetorically flat, right, strikes us as inept, mm -hmm. unbalanced, like a like a muscle bound, yeah, yeah. brute, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, is inept and unbalanced. He makes a good engineer, though. Maybe. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I'll tell you what he wouldn't make. He would not make a good phys a good physician. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and I think probably not a good engineer either. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Good Good question, but okay. So there's a so there's a balance, and can I can I have the uh, the trivium alone without the quadrivium and be a free man? You know that, right? That is, you know the answer to that question. Right? We are, insofar as we are logicians, 
we're also arithmeticians. Insofar as we're arithmeticians, we're also logicians. I mean it this way. If I give you the peremptory command, count the room. Yeah. You must ask me what counts. Right. Right? So we have to decide, right, what will count in the room. That's a logical exercise. Right? Yep. Right. What what will count? Pieces of furniture, persons, books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What will count? Uh, so the the exercise of the arithmetic art. There are two people in the room. Presupposes the exercise of the first of the logical arts. Right, simple apprehension. Right? The coming to see that you and I are at one and the same time, one and two two instances of the same, right? Yep. And thus countable. Right? So the, the, the liberal arts all together right, amount to the human functioning of a, the, the right functioning of a rational creature. Is there an order to them in the sense that it's, I mean, it seems like uh, the trivium is, uh, word, grammar is, is, word and then logic is word ordered mm -hmm. and then rhetoric is almost word incarnate or word put to use yeah. uh, word incarnate that's probably a loaded term uh, but then the same way in the quadrivium uh there's number mm -hmm. and then there's number in shape and then there's number in motion i guess mm -hmm. and then there's and then there's finally number like music that's that's number incarnate right right Right. So there is a traditional order right, of both of the tri trivium and of the quadrivium. The traditional order of the trivium is grammar to logic to rhetoric. That's the order of acquisition. Right? Okay. Um, by some accounts, the order of precedence, right? that is the organizing art, right? by some accounts, is logic right. Right? Among, in the trivium. For St. Augustine, it was rhetoric. Hmm. Right? Augustine was... Why? For Augustine. Yeah. Well, the answer to that, uh, by for Augustine, I mean in Augustine's day. Oh, I see. Okay. Not he doesn't Augustine. make a case for it. No, he doesn't make Got a it. case okay. for it in, 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 in Augustine's day, it was the imperial school of rhetoric, right, to which Augustine was called and where he taught. Mm -hmm. And the imperial school of rhetoric indicated that in the Roman order, and the Roman educational order, Rhetoric as the art by which you could persuade and move people together, the essentially political, the art that, that um, uh, verges on politics, was the highest among of the trivial arts. It's a sort of, a, you say, a clear Roman prejudice. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Okay, so, and then the order of the quadrivium traditionally in... Is there the order of the quadrivium no. traditionally in Greek paideia, Right was was geometry first, then arithmetic because arithmetic was understood to be number theory, hmm. right? mm -hmm. and counting was understood to be like knowing how to speak. Before you study grammar, you just as an art to, to refine talk. speech. You have yeah. to know how to talk. You have to be able to right. to um, to excogitate works to be criticized. The same is true with counting. You have to be able to count before you can ask yourself what kinds of counting there are and what it means to count. So the natural order of acquisition is not necessarily the order of proposal mm -hmm. in terms of, of proposing the arts. Okay. And how is the movement of arithmetic, arithmetic or geometry to the end of music or something higher, music or astronomy, whatever it is? Yeah. Well, uh, you get different accounts of that, don't you? Right. If you... you I think have, in fact, read the uh, opening letter to Ptolemy's Almagest. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, you I, have. Probably, I don't know when I read that. Right. So you know yeah. that for Ptolemy, right, astronomy is the next thing to theology. Yes. And therefore, astronomy it's is... a movement of the celestial bodies. That's right. A movement of, of, that is, it's the study of the proper motions of properly divine things, right? Okay, and therefore astronomy is next door to theology, 
right? That is to say, it's the, it's the art which introduces theology, right? Yep. And therefore, it's the highest of the quadrivial arts. Yep. Right? Because of its relationship to, to theology. Now, in, in, in his day, right, um, uh, logic and not rhetoric was thought to be the next thing to philosophy, understood as dialectical pursuit of common human questions. Right? Cool. In other words, questions that are not subordinated to a given discipline or a given formal object but are open to human intelligence as such. Okay. Expressive of human intelligence as such. So the relationship between, between philosophy and theology, between the quadrivial and trivial arts and the whole unity doesn't get parsed in a way which is, let's say, systematic until you get to the Middle Ages. And who does that? Well, I think probably the, the classical source would be Hugh of St. Victor. Hmm. Hugo mm-hmm. St. Victor, who defines the liberal arts as certain methods, certain roots by which the soul of the learner comes directly and easily, efficiently, to philosophy and theology. Hmm. Right. So... By the time you reach the, the Middle Ages, the liberal arts are one. Understood to be liberal, really freeing, insofar as they are subordinated to and act as the portico to the houses of, if I may so speak, the houses of philosophy and theology. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the liberal arts are liberal just so far as they are not subordinated to, ordained to, intramundane activities. But all the liberal arts... Work. Yeah. All the liberal arts can be... Arithmetic can be turned into checkbook balancing. Geometry can be turned into bridge engineering. Rhetoric can be turned into advertising. Logic can be turned into logic chopping, logistic. Mm -hmm. Grammar can be turned into drills. Right? It can be made. They can be made into subordinated. They can be subordinated to transitive goods. To transitive goods. To um, temporal goods. To uses of various kinds. Philosophy and theology cannot be. Right? There's yeah. The, there's the experiment um, proposed in the. Um, in the beginning of Leisure, the Basis of Culture by Pieper, which is decisive, I think, to make this point. Right? He says, so suppose that the government, for whatever reason, needed to dragoon every mathematician in the country to put them to work on some kind of project on which the temporal welfare of the whole people depends. Right? Nothing about mathematics would be injured by that fact. Yeah. Nothing about mathematics would continue to be mathematics. But suppose the government at the same time decided to dragoon every philosopher Hmm. and put them to work on the same project, right? The only thing philosophers could do in that case would be to justify the project, right? To create justifications for the project. As ethicists, right? right. (laughs) Which would be as ethicists, as epistemologists. epistemologists, Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that would be the destruction of philosophy. Yep. Because philosophy would be thus subordinated. So, and, in in case you're wondering, well, uh, is that just true philosophy? Imagine what would happen if poets were also dragooned in the same. That would be the end of poetry. Yep. Right? It would be the end of poetry. So, philosophy and theology are in themselves free sciences. The liberal arts are liberal insofar as they are ordered to the free sciences. This is the mm-hmm. medieval doctrine. This is you of St. Victor. Right. right. So there's nothing wrong with subordinating the art of rhetoric for advertising. Otherwise, we wouldn't have our awesome Albertus right. Magus Institute trifolds and Precisely. websites. Right. It's funny. I showed that to some TAC grads, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, what do you think? And they said, there's a lot of... A lot of marketing jargon. 
you know <laughs> they were almost incensed that the art of rhetoric was subordinated to this uh you know selling this thing so um so it's not an abuse in itself of the art no, to subordinate them to a temporal purpose no and in that sense they are very useful right right but they're not liberal they're not liberal insofar as they're being used. That's right. And they are liberal insofar as they're being enjoyed for themselves. Right. And when you enjoy them for themselves, you, you realize that that's sort of... Right. So you, think of it this way. Yeah. Logic can be turned into logistic. It can be turned into a set of procedures for determining whether or not a given argument succeeds or doesn't succeed in inferring, inferring a conclusion. Yep. Okay. That's logic as logistic. Understood as a liberal art, logic is the art which directs and thus perfects the intellect. Perfects the intellect in its, in its three intrinsic acts. Simple apprehension, apprehending natures, proposition, right? composition and division of natures, and argumentation, that is, that is, returning um, uh, inferences to principles and then deducing from principles and premises the truth of things. Okay? Yep. Now, those, what's perfected... Would that be decision, the last? Or is that a different... Uh, iliation would be the usual okay. term. Of the, huh. um, so, in any case, those, those movements of the mind, right, when those movements are correct, it's the mind that's perfected. The mind becomes the thing. Yeah. The mind is the subject that's right. of the art. Yes. When logic is turned into logistic, when I'm evaluating arguments, nothing wrong with that, when I'm evaluating arguments, then the evaluation, the analysis, is the product. Hmm. Right? Beethoven's capacity to order tones is the perfection of music, right? Beethoven's yeah. Fifth Symphony is a product thereof. Yep. Right? Okay. And in that sense, the musical art, the capacity for intuiting, if you like, harmonies, has been turned into something, so made a product. Mm -hmm. Versus, how would that be inverted? Um, so, if you think of a liberal art this way, case, yeah. yeah, if you think of a liberal arts this way, the liberal arts are those arts, are arts because they involve production of some kind. You don't have an art if there's no production involved. Mm -hmm. right? So, they involve productions of some kind. So, is philosophy technically an art in that sense? No, philosophy is okay. a science. Philosophy is a science. science. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, uh, the liberal arts are, 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 if they're going to be arts at all, if it's going to make sense to refer to them as the liberal arts, they have to produce something. Mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, we might as well invent a new way of speaking. Even in the arte sense, like yes, artists, something, yeah. something made freely. Okay? That's right. Yeah. So in the case of the liberal arts, the making goes something like this, right? The liberal arts are those steady and right shapings of works that are known in being made and made in being known. Which is to say, they're the works that are realized in and as the mind. In the sense in which we, in which we say, he has a mind for figures. Is it right to say that the thing being made is the mind? Yeah, the, thing be, this, the subject of the act. The thing being made is the mind. The thing being made is the mind. And the mind is making the thing. And the mind is making the thing. Now, how is that not just solis, solipsistic and circular... Uh, well, that's a separate. It's a separate question. Yeah, it is. I know whether what the mind is making, right, is related in some way to what there is prior to the making. So, of the, the, mind. so the, this because it's true that if if uh, you could teach yourself anything, you wouldn't need to. Right. Uh, in other words, the, the right. mind can't be right. actualized by itself. It's right. as we knowing something. So, right. so just distinguish those two things because I'm with you that the the the, the, the arts are the mind making, but it's, we don't want to say. The mind is making itself. Right. Right. Okay. Well, there's no speech unless there's something to talk about. That's right. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. And again, there's no argument unless there are objects. Mm -hmm. In the strict Latin sense, things one comes across. Right. And there's no truth, right, unless the compositions and division in the mind 
respond to right, the composition and division of natures in reality. So truth here means correspondence of the makings in the mind to the realities the to which the mind is responding. Truth is the union of nowhere Truth is and the adequation of the adequation of thought with thing, if you like. Uh-huh. Okay, which actualizes the right the person, which actualizes as agent, knowing agent, the person. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, now, why is this so foreign? Why is why is this very conversation so hard for the modern to hear? Well, because um, uh, you you want the sort of fundamental not, answer. Not to not to mention your first episode. Yes. So if you meet somebody on the street and you ask that person, "What do we know?" The answer is likely to come yeah. back something like this, right? We know our ideas. I'd be, I think that's a pretty generous read of the person on the street. Really? I mean, well, if, yeah. if, if he says we know our ideas, then he's a, he's a genuine, reflective modern. Right? Well, that's true. Okay. Right? Yep. Because mm -hmm. our ideas are not what we know. They're that through which we know things. Yep. Right? Yep. Right? It, uh, until Descartes, until the dawn of modern epistemic philosophy. Right? Henry of Ghent. Until then, if you asked a person, if you asked a person, what do you know? The answer would be things. I know stuff. Yeah. I know things. Things. Yeah. I know things. Uh-huh. Right? Not, I know my thoughts. Right. Right. And it's the, it's the modern affliction, right? Yep. To uh, think that what it means to know is to know our own constructs, or making and knowing are the same thing. What we know is what we make. It's the journey, not the destination. Right. Well, there are various ways, which is quick. <laughs> but as soon as that's the case, right, then the notion of a liberal arts either appears to be redundant, uh -huh. right, things that are known and being made and made and being known, either appears to be redundant and beside the point, right, or or is the token of a set of distinctions that are being resisted. Well, rewind that. What's the, say, say that again. The token of what? What does that mean? Or it's a token of a set of distinctions that are now being resisted. Okay. Unpack that, please. Okay. So, if I speak of the liberal arts in the medieval sense, or in the ancient sense, in the context of a modern academy, Right? Yeah. Then I am implicitly indicting the whole academic structure. That is the curriculum, the division of disciplines, the whole bit. Because the academic structure is going to rest on humanities, right? all the arts and sciences, put those in quotation marks, that have to do with matters of opinion, matters of estimation, etc. And on the other side, the natural sciences and mathematics, or the mathematicized natural sciences, which have to do with real knowing. Mm -hmm. right? So either mathematics turns out to be the only true liberal art, right? the only real liberating and, and liberal art, or the division of the university into humanities, hard sciences. social sciences, and hard sciences is a mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean to say that there are a set of distinctions that are being resisted. I see. They're being resisted because the structure of formal education, the structure of liberal instruction, right, is at odds with the traditional distinctions among the liberal arts and among the liberal arts and between the liberal arts and the subordinate or okay now isn't practical let's, let's talk about the historical beginnings of this rupture because um, doesn't Machiavelli make the case for just this like basically this is too difficult virtue is not for everybody well, that's moral virtue right. It's too it is, but, but 
but basically he reduces I mean that's the thing intellectual virtue goes away and it becomes about right. power well right. that's that's exactly what the modern university seems to be in the business of well it seems to me you can go to a number of of um, sources probably the one which is in my view is most luminous gives you a uh, a, a good grip on this, but probably least well-known is Jean-Baptiste Vico's um, long uh, essay called On the Study Methods of Our Time. Dates? Uh, so Vico is early 18th century. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. So he's, he's in Italy, he's in Naples. The University of Naples is a little behind the times. So the advances in university education that are going on in Europe are being actually reflected on in Naples. Um, and he proposes that up there in Europe and in his day, the distinction has been drawn already between the humanities and the sciences. It's a distinction which is adumbrated by Descartes. Now, is that is that distinction... Uh, easily made, uh, rightly or wrongly, is it easily made because the sciences are certainly knowable as Descartes would want to certainly know something. Right. And the humanities more theoretical, right. inexhaustible. Right. The humanities have to do with, well, look, it's like Pascal, right? The humanities have to do with l'esprit de la finesse and the sciences with the spirit of rigor. Mm -hmm. right? Which you would have to say in German. Uh, well, in, well, in French, actually, Pascal. Yeah. Right, yeah, I should write it. It's a that's joke, Corey. Right. I, I get it, I get it. Schwerewissenschaft. There we go. Schwerewissenschaft. <laughs> but, um, so, I mean, so, so that's already in Vico. Okay. Uh, and developed in Vico. But, the, I mean, that's not the beginning of the, of the no, problem. No, it's not the beginning of, 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 of the problem. And, uh, you gotta, you, I mean, to, to get the heart of it, you got to, I think, I mean, if you want to go back to the fall of man itself, you could at least go back to the, I guess, the Franciscan well-intentioned inversion of the voluntary over the intellectual, right? You can, sure. Um, thing is, you can find a number of inflection points yeah. at various times within a certain historical span. If you want to give it the um, a... Uh, uh, colorful um, uh, exposition, uh, then you can say, look, um, it's, it's the Reformation and it's the odium theologicum that accompanies the Reformation, which revitalizes, which brings back uh, ancient Pyrrhonic and uh, empirical skepticism used as ways of undermining your theological enemy's arguments with the result that you undermine all argument, you undermine all intellectual discipline, right? And you have Descartes then trying to, mounting the white horse of his method, riding in to vanquish the skeptics and reestablish a unitary possibility of wisdom. Right, which turned out not to be the chivalric white horse, but that of the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... But, but, I don't want to be too hard. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Just hard okay, enough. Okay, but fundamentally, it's an inversion of what is with what sure. is wanted. Right. I want takes the place of what is. And that characterizes the modern university, that characterizes the modern... Right, but it also characterizes experience. It also characterizes fundamental hu human failings since our first parents. That's why I say we go back to the fall. <laughs> yeah, right. But now we're swimming in it, and the university, rather than being a, uh, a place where that is rectified and fostered and, and you're freed from this. That's right. what the liberal arts are intending to yeah. free from. Right? Well, but, but False get, opinion. I, mean, I mean, remember who succeeded Thomas to the chair at the University of Paris, right? Was it uh, Bonna, 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 uh, Seeger of Barant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, he's, yeah. <laughs> Anomalist. Right? right. Well, that's, that's why I say you can go back to Henry of Ghent for... Right. Uh, Right, yeah. right. So my, my point is that it's not as if the university was the was the citadel of um, of uh, sound human uh, until dialectic. Until Descartes rational. came yeah. and popped. Until Descartes came and right. popped. It, yeah, right? yeah. It was, it's, yeah. It's, it's a struggle at all times and in all places. Right. And it takes, say, Saint Thomas, the mind of a thousand years, 
in a city ruled by a king saint with a friendly Franciscan saint right over here yeah. supporting him to produce right the, the Summa, to produce the disputed questions on truth, to produce, right? Yeah. The 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 day the day I get it. So there's and no what, there's no glory days that, no we, glory that we're days. trying to go back to. No, no, no. Okay. No, 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 no glory days. Okay, but at the same time, you know, um uh Sierra Brabant at his worst would not have fathomed something like a women's studies department or uh I mean there there has it's sure. become something else, right? Sure. Or when I'm asking these questions Sure. Um Sure. Well, you can't even read. You can't even. That's the thing. You don't have. You can't read. You don't have grammar. Uh, I mean, the, your typical undergraduate can't write a paragraph. Um, depends on where you are. Depends on where you are. Who's typical, right? Yep. Right. From where I sit, um, it's unusual for first-year students to come in with um, ordinary control of English prose. And they're getting worse every year, I'd imagine. This is not being recorded. No, just kidding. It is being recorded. I understand that it's being recorded. They're getting this every year. Uh, can't say. Hmm. Can't say. Because if they're getting worse every year... You're getting worse every year. I'm getting worse every year, too, too right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading that prose. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, it certainly seems to me, but perhaps it seems to every human being, it certainly seems to me that my teachers were much better educated than I am. Well, I can definitely relate. Yeah. <laughs> right, and that, and that I represent a declination in the effort, mm -hmm. but a noble one, not a retreat, right? Not, not, a, a, not a retreat, right? Not a That's not right. a lowering of ambitions. That's right, right? But a but you know. Now is that just something that? That's just natural. I mean, I, that I can't. I'm never going to be. I'm sure, never it, could be the my... it could be the epiphenomenon of my obviously reigning right. natural powers. Yeah, because yeah, I think like I'm never going to think like Court, right? You know, I'm, I'm never going to think like Owen, right? Or like Joe, right. right? Yep. Yeah. So, what's the answer? What do we need to do besides found the Albertus Magnus Institute? We and... need to found the Albertus Magnus Institute and make sure that we're ever conscious and ever actually in train, have ever actually in train, the notion that the Albertus Magnus Institute is, before it is anything else, a work of love. Hmm. And that means a work by which we take the best we have and offer it to others gratis. Freely give what we've been given freely. Freely give what we've been given. And freely give that which makes us free. And think you are you are successful just insofar as you can say, I am poured out like water. Thanks be to God. Amen. 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 You want to wrap it there? Sure. All right. Stephen Courtright, thank you. <laughs>